Well, good morning again. Um, we're uh, once again we're Attaboy. We're we're a band from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, I said before we would uh, get a chance to uh, get to know each other better uh, throughout the service. And uh, for now, um, man, we we do not take lightly the um, the honor and the privilege it is to to come into a local church and uh, and be given the platform. Um, that's not a a thing we take lightly. We are honored to be here with y'all. We are um, we're excited to be here today to, to share with you uh, about our ministry, uh, to share with you music, and, and also to uh, to share with you uh, from the word today. And um, so for now, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about myself, and then we'll learn more about the band after this. Um, but one thing you need to know about me: my, my name is Ryan, and um, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Uh, but one of the things that's kind of I guess particular about my life is that I'm I'm a words person. Like I, like I love I like words. Right, um, I I'm a verbal processor to the max. Right, like I, I I have to talk it out probably multiple times before I actually say what I'm ready to say. Right, uh, I got to talk it out. I, I love words. Uh, as a matter of fact, full confession, I actually have the dictionary.com app on my phone, and sometimes I read it for fun. Just saying, uh, that may have just totally knocked me down a number of pegs. And somebody else, that, that's fine. Right, um, I'll own it. Right, I, I love words. I love that words. Um, can be used for, for amazing things. We're, you know, the Bible says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Uh, we can speak life-giving things to people. On the other hand, words can uh, be negative. Words can, can cause death in people's lives, right? When we use, misuse them, right? When we uh, use them harshly. Uh, another thing that can happen with words in general is that we can sometimes just misuse them by accident. Right, and and it's not it's, you know it's not on purpose, but it just kind of happens. Like within our language, a lot of the way we learn is by hearing what other people say, uh, and that's how we pick up what the word means, right? And um, and then we start to use it. And if we picked it up wrong, then maybe we're going to start saying it incorrectly. Um, let me give you an illustration of, of what I mean by this. This word that you're going to see on the screen here, um, it, it's the word peruse. I just want you to think to yourselves just for a minute. What does this word mean? Uh, you don't have to say it out loud, uh, but just think, what do you think this word means? And now, here's the real definition. Peruse actually means to read through with thoroughness or care. Now, before I actually looked this word up or, like, had somebody point it out to me, I did not think this is what the word meant. I actually thought it meant the complete opposite. Maybe you did, too. Like, like when you hear the word peruse used, usually people are saying, like, well, there's, like, a magazine rack or, like, the books in the library, and I perused the shelves. And usually people mean, I just kind of glanced over them to see what was there. But peruse actually means that I read every book cover to cover, carefully researching everything in there. Like, so it's the opposite, right? Here's another word. Here's another word, right? Um, literally... Okay, think about this one. What's it mean? What's the definition? Actually, without exaggeration or inaccuracy, and I've literally heard this word misused a million times. All right, like um, it's one that we get we get wrong a lot. Right? Uh, here's another one. Irregardless. Think about the definition to this one. Go ahead and show us the. Oh, it's not a word. Like it it doesn't even. It's not a word. Um, what people usually mean to say is regardless. That's what you mean. Uh, or there, there's another word, um, irrespective. Some people mash those up. Some people just add that onto a word. Um, it, it's not a word, but it's been misused so many times and so often that it is now in the dictionary and it says not standard or wrong. Right? So like, uh, it's there, but it's misused a lot. Now, this happens in church too. Okay, we, um, we, we have church, believe it or not, we have lingo in church, right? Uh, if you've ever talked to somebody who did not grow up in church, uh, if they were to step into this, this room on any, uh, any given Sunday, they're probably going to hear words they never hear anywhere else, 
right? And there are a number of these that we could talk about, and, and it's important to know what they mean. Um, but today, uh, I want to focus in on one of these words that I think a lot of times can get at least glossed over in, in a weak way, or sometimes just totally misused, uh, and it's this word, worship. All right? So I just want to kind of focus in on this word, um, for the remainder of this time in the service, right? So as a singer, as a musician, uh, I'm in a band. We travel all over the country, and, and, and we get to do music all over the place. And, and what, I've, what I've seen is being in these environments, I've seen this word used or printed in all the following ways. You'll see up here, um, people say, who will provide worship? Who will lead us in worship? I can't wait for worship. Or, that was really good worship this morning. Or, worship wasn't that great this morning. Uh, so, you know, you see lists of service order, right? Bulletins and so on that are, um, they just say 20 to 25 minutes for worship. We have a whole genre of music in our culture called praise and worship music. Now, if I came into church as a non-church person, and I, and I listened to how people talked about worship, in these contexts, in all these different places. And somebody then asked me to put together my own definition of worship. I think it would be fair to say I might come up with a definition that looks like this. Song time on Sunday. Or songs we sing to God. Or the musical segment of a religious event. Or even just a morning meeting. Sometimes it's called Sunday worship. A worship gathering, that kind of thing, right? Now... That's what it would be if I just kind of picked up context clues. And the problem is, if this is all we mean, if this is as far as we go, then I think we're missing something. I think that if, if this is our definition, this is how we use it all the time, I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to truly worship God. And not only do I think it's a misunderstanding, but, but I think it's dangerous and it's detrimental to the to our lives as believers and to the people around us. Now, two main reasons come to mind as I think about like why this would be not a good way to think about worship. It's just, one, we've got two dangers. One of them is this, that we fall into the trap of elevating music and style and production to the point of idolizing it, thus missing the object of our worship in the process. Right? If worship is defined as anything close to what I just listed there, whether explicitly or implicitly, we may have a tendency to overemphasize its importance and fall prey to the extremes of the worship as entertainment trap. Right? That if we don't have all the singers and sound system and, and technology and power ballad songs, that we either can't worship or at best it's just you know, subpar. And the ironic thing about all that is that even if all of these things were executed flawlessly on, a, on any given Sunday morning, it could still be a time devoid of actual worship. Here's something that Jesus said. I mean, he was really blunt in this case, right? He says this in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. He said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So in this case, a little kid singing Jesus Loves Me could be demonstrating, you know, playing in a sandbox, could be demonstrating more authentic worship than the most high-tech, slickly produced, like, concert of worship imaginable. 
I, I read about this one pastor. He, um, he's a pastor in England. He had a really big church, probably could be categorized as a mega church. He had extremely talented musicians and, and, uh, and people associated with his church. His music director, very talented guy. Uh, they had all the production, all, all the stuff that you need. You know, they had it all. And this pastor was very insightful as he observed his congregation week after week. He eventually started putting together that they had a problem as a, as a congregation. Because he started seeing that people were coming to their service just to see what would happen. Just to see how good the music was or how, how good the, the, the technology and the, and the presentation was. And they came just to start consuming what was happening there. And so he did a really gutsy thing. This would probably get some pastors fired. Uh, but he, he talked to his music director. They agreed. You know, they had this plan. They walked out on a Sunday morning. And the pastor said, hey, here's the problem. We're missing the point. There's something wrong here. And so until we learn better what it is to worship and, and be in this environment in, in, in a better way, we're just going to take it all away. And so they took all the music off. They took all the instruments away. They took all the, like the sound system was turned, down, turned off. You know, they're, they're done with it. And indefinitely. It wasn't like just for this week, just to, just to teach you a lesson. It was like, no, 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 we're getting rid of it for a minute. Like it's going to be a little while here. So week after week, they came back. Now, this can get pretty awkward because there's 25 minutes in a, set, in a service where you're supposed to be doing music. And if you've taken away the instruments, what are you going to do? But what they found was after some of that awkwardness was over, they found that somebody in the congregation would just start breaking out into a song. And everybody else would join that. Or somebody else would start praying and there would be a time of prayer and it would go back and forth. And people started to realize that, hey, we are all here to be producers. We're, we're here to bring an offering, not just take in what's happening. So week after week, this, this went on. Eventually, the pastor started saying, okay, the congregation is starting to understand that it's not just a time for them to come in and consume. And so they brought the music back. And it was after that situation that his music director went home and he wrote a song. And his music director's name is Matt Redman, who has written some of the most famous songs that the church sings today. And the song that came out of that experience was this. It was called The Heart of Worship. And here are some of the words. When the music fades, all is stripped away and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. That song went around the world, and it was born literally out of taking everything away. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that music is bad, alright? Uh, I love music. I love artistic expression. If, if I thought it was bad, obviously I wouldn't be in this job, right? Like this is my, music is part of my job, right? So um, it's not bad. It's not bad. That's not, that's not the point that I'm trying to make. Because I could spend a lot of time just extolling the gift and the importance of music and excellence and using space and lighting and, and, and sound system and so on to create an atmosphere where people can encounter God in a fresh way. It's all good. There, there are many, many passages of Scripture that affirm the use of music and show examples of its use. There's wonderful God-given space for music and all these things in our expressions of worship to God. But that's just it. They're, they're just expressions. 
They're not worship in and of themselves. And that leads us to the second danger. So the first one is that we elevate it and we idolize it to the point of missing the point, right? The second thing is that we so narrowly define it and box it in that we miss out on all the opportunities we have to worship the God that we serve. Right? If we box ourselves into that definition that we were talking about, if we box ourselves into that, it's stiflingly narrow and it's constricting. It's a, it's a constricting view of what it looks like to worship the infinite God of all creativity. I have a confession. Like, I mean, we've already established, like, part of my job is music. Uh, I'm a singer. Uh, it's what I do as my career. But if that's all that worship is, I'm bored. I have other stuff I like doing. I, I don't want to do this, you know, 24 hours a day. It's not physically possible, right? And then, you know, what about, what about when the music stops? Does worship stop? No. And, and what about people who just don't happen to be gifted rhythmically or melodically? Does that mean they're, you know, sorry, tough luck. You're, <laughs> you don't get to worship, right? Like, that's not a thing. But when we think our definition is based so much around music, people might start to get that understanding. And we start to box ourselves into this. So, that's like the rant part. All right, I'm done with that. Right? Now, I could just leave you there and be like, okay, don't, don't do the wrong thing. You know, go on your way. Right? But no, let's, let's get something constructive here. Right? So this is what we want to avoid with a, with a poor definition of worship. What do we want to do uh, to maybe get a better understanding of what worship is? Well, what I want to do is go to the first place that we find the word worship mentioned in the Bible. Okay, we have to go way back for this. Uh, the whole way to the first book of the Bible is Genesis chapter 22. We're going to go through verses 1 through 8. For some of you, this will be a totally familiar story. Here we go. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, if you've grown up in church, this story is totally familiar. You get it? Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, Abraham's asked to sacrifice his son. He's about to... Now, if you haven't grown up in church, this is the first time you've ever heard this story. It's kind of weird. I, I mean, it's, it's a crazy story. Like, here's, here's God telling somebody to kill their son. Like, this, it's, it's crazy. But let me just give a little bit of context to kind of just make it make, it make more sense here. So, one of the things that, that makes this a little bit more palatable as a story is that in this era, in history, child sacrifice was normal. It had all these other cultures were sacrificing their children to, to false gods. It's like the god of rain or, or whatever it was. They're sacrificing their children. So here's Abraham following God, and we see that Abraham is testing Abraham. He's basically asking Abraham, how much do you trust me? Like, these people are willing to give up their children for their, God, for their gods. What about me? Like, what do you think, what's our relationship look like? Also, to kind of make it a little more palatable, is that God doesn't actually make him go through it. He's not asking people to kill their children, like, for real. Like, it was a test, right? So, um, verse 3 says this, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for a place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So that statement, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, uh, just to summarize the rest of the story, Abraham is fully prepared to obey God. And, and later we see in the Bible that, that we know some inner workings in Abraham's mind is that he is fully trusting that even if he completely goes through with obedience, that God will raise his son back, back to life. Like that's, he is fully trusting that. But he's ready to, ready to fulfill this, this obedience. An angel stops him. God literally provides another, uh, another sacrifice, a ram. Isaac's place is taken. It's an amazing story pointing ahead. But this is the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And what I think is conspicuously missing from this passage is music. There's none mentioned. But in this context, we see that the idea of worship involves some specific things. I'm just going to point out two. There's more that could be drawn out of this. But the first thing that, that is required when we consider worshiping God is a proper relationship to God. We have to understand our place. Like, often throughout the Bible, the word worship means to bow down. Uh, our proper relationship to God is that of a king to a subject. Like, this is God is big, we're not big. God is in charge, we're not in charge. God is the king, I'm the servant. Like, we have to understand. Now, our culture does not like this, right? We, we, we balk at this because we, because we don't like to have anyone really in charge of us or holding us accountable. But we have to understand that that's where it starts. A proper relationship to God. But what I love about the God that we serve is this. He doesn't want the relationship to stop there. He could. He could. He has every right. He created you. He can say, do this. You, you know, he says, jump. You say, how high? And that's it. Like, he could do that. But he doesn't want the relationship to stop there. As a matter of fact, he eventually flips the script on Abraham and throughout the course of history on all of us when he provided a ram in Isaac's place and then later... He provided His own Son to take our place. When He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He flips it all on us. And He says, I want the relationship to be more than just king to subject. I want it to be deeper. I want it to be better than that. God invites us to a, a better, more fulfilling, more dynamic relationship with Him. One in which our inadequacies and mistakes and sin don't have to win. Where in our weakness and rebellion and disdain for God, it didn't stop Him from making a way for us to be restored to a right relationship with Him. And that leads us to the, to the second thing we have to understand about this concept of worship. First, proper relationship to God. We understand our place, which makes what God does an even bigger deal. 
But then the second thing is worship is our proper response to who God is and what He's done. It's a response to God. It's showing Him how much He's worth to us. It's that sacrifice, that love, that gesture that our King asks us to respond to. Like this whole concept might be better understood as worth-ship. How much is God worth to you? That's what He was asking Abraham. These people are willing to sacrifice. Am I worth that much? Do you trust me that much? And then in providing the lamb, it's an even bigger act of love, an even bigger gesture, and that's all what we get to respond to right there. So maybe it would help us if we start our definition of worship as something like this. Letting our attitudes and actions reflect our proper relationship and response to God. Now, this is really broad on purpose, right? This includes music, but it goes far beyond any specific songs we usually sing, right? Uh, Here's what I love. Further in the New Testament, um, we, we see some more things that can add to this understanding of worship. Jesus says this. He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In Colossians, we see, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And then in Romans chapter 12, we see this. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, so who He is and what He's done, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Matt Redman, the guy that, that, that worship leader that wrote the song after that experience, he also said this. He said, singing is easy. The proof is always in the living. Now, there's so much more that can be said on this whole topic of worship. This is not an exhaustive treatment. The book after book has been written about this. There's more to it, right? We obviously just don't have time for that. <laughs> so, I just want to close with one more story. And it's this. Not, not too long ago, a number of years ago, I got to be part of a, a wedding for one of my good friends. Now, uh, I'm from Pennsylvania, like I said. The wedding was in Tennessee. So there were some others of us, uh, uh, other people from Pennsylvania, so we made a road trip out of it. We started driving. We drive into the night to make it to, to Tennessee on time for this wedding. We got there a day or two early uh, so that we could be part of the preparations, part of everything that was happening get a chance to spend some time with the, the bride-to-be and the groom before, uh, before they got married. Now, we got there like really late at night or early in the morning, depending how you want to look at it. And so we, we went to bed for just a few hours. And when we got up, like preparation was in full swing. It was an outdoor wedding. So the, the focal point, like everything had to be set up still, but the focal point of the whole ceremony was a gazebo that was right up, right up in this area where they'd have chairs around it, obviously. And, then, um, and, and this gazebo is where they were going to exchange their vows. It was where, like, this moment, this bride's waited for her whole life. That's where it's happening. So this place has to look good, right? So we're, we're prepping these things. But that gazebo wasn't finished. Actually, what was missing was on the front of that gazebo, uh, there was no step to get up. 
So it would have been way too awkward for the bride to try to step up, you know, that high. So the step had to be built during that time. So one of our friends, his name is Talon, he was the one that had to build the step. Now, it was a good thing he was building it because he's a craftsman. He builds houses. He's a woodworker. Like, like this guy's talented. So he starts to work on that. The rest of us were not building the step, probably for good reason. So um, he's doing that. We're starting to do other things, setting up chairs, setting up the decor, getting everything ready. While we're hanging out, we're just joking, just having a good time together. We started to talk about the music that's going to be part of the wedding. And, and there was going to be a lot of songs in the wedding. I was going to be singing some songs during the, during the reception. Uh, family members were going to be singing like multiple songs during the ceremony. There's a lot of music involved. And so we're you know, just talking about that. And then the groom looks up at, at Talon, who's just over there kind of slaving away on the step. And he jokingly yells over, Hey, Talon, uh, what song are you singing in, in the wedding? And everybody laughed because everybody knew that Talon wasn't singing. Um, but Talon was quick. And he got up, and he walked over to the rest of us, and he pointed back at the step, and he goes, Hey, Tim, that's my song. And I think he had something, something to say. He had a point. I mean, what if we could consciously change our mentality of what it means to worship God? When we really started kind of branching out and thinking about it differently, would it change the way we do things? Right? Would it give value even to the mundane? I think it could change the way the world sees Jesus. Because uh, this is why I say sometimes it's not fair to the world around us. Like, if we could let our worship of God be further outside that box and influence everything we do, we're going to look different to the world. They're going to say, why are you doing that meager job so well? I'm just worshiping God. Can I tell you about it? They're going to notice. See, if we can genuinely, genuinely seek God's glory and His pleasure in all that we do, then maybe a stay-at-home mom could look at the mess in her house and her lavishly loved kids and say to our Creator, that's my song. Maybe an athlete can look at a game well played, whether it's a win or a loss, and say, that's my song. Maybe a, a high-paid business owner can point to a company built with honesty and integrity and humbly confess, that's my song. You know, a, a musician, a sound guy, a lighting tech, a greeter, a soup kitchen volunteer, adoptive parents, students, teachers, artists, actors, cashiers, politicians, writers, custodians, white-collar workers, blue-collar workers, a good friend, a good listener. They can all look up to God with gratitude and say, God, that is my song. And these, these songs can be sung with or without music. And so the question becomes, what song will you sing? Let's pray. God, thank you that you don't just demand our worship. Even though you could. Thank you that it's 
that it's the love and the grace and the mercy that you show us because it's in your character, it's your nature to do so, that you show us that you asked us to respond to that. And God, we ask that you would help us to consciously, actively seek your glory in what we do. We ask that that when we're done here today, you would help us to walk out and continue to worship. We ask your blessing on the rest of our time together. We ask your your smile on this place. In Jesus' name, amen.